Is it about pee and poop? Yeah, oh. and and boobs. Oh, and boobs. I didn't. That's even actually the song them. that we're doing next week. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Welcome to Lyrics for Lunch, the show where when Aviv hears me call his name, it feels like home. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. The enthusiasm with which you read that, that copy that you wrote. <laughs> I'm journalist Lindsay Tucker. I'm here with writer, director, and music man, Aviv Rubenstein. Aviv, hello. Uh, uh, I don't love being called the music man, <laughs> but that's okay. It's my intro, story. okay? You can write yours okay. next week. I'm, you, be, you better believe I will. <laughs> so we've got the snackable meanings behind history's favorite songs. And today we're here to talk about the controversial mega hit, Like a Prayer. Controversial mega hit. Okay, so, right, snackable meanings behind popular songs. And we're talking about the controversial mega hit. Like a Prayer. Who is it by? Who are you You're asking me? Yes. Madonna. Madonna. Like a Prayer was the title track on Madonna's fourth studio album, which was released on March 21st, 1989, by Sire Records. Sire Records. Yes. Okay. Would you know something about them? No. Okay. Madonna co-wrote and produced all the songs while working with Prince, who, by the way, played the guitar on Like a Prayer, the song. Prince is one of my all-time favorite guitars. Do you like the song? Do I like Like a Prayer? Yeah. Yeah. I don't exactly know why it is controversial, except for I know that the video was like a, there's a controversy with the video. Yeah. I'll get, I'll get you there. I can hear you. I know my ice is clinking. I know. I know. I'll put it down. I'm, I'm excited to hear about the controversy because I'm not super aware of it. Don't get your hopes up too high. I don't want to oversell it. Okay. Well, too late. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I was saying who Madonna co-wrote and produced the songs with, but we got stuck on Prince. Prince. Stephen Bray who won the 2017 Grammy for Best Musical Theater Album for the Tony Award-winning revival of The Color Purple. Also, Patrick Leonard, who's a music and film producer and writer who's worked with a ton of top artists, including Pink Floyd, Elton John, Jeff Beck, Fleetwood Mac, and Michael Jackson. Can we say Michael Jackson on this podcast? Can we say Michael Jackson? <laughs> yes. You, do you think that Joe Jackson is going to rise up out of his grave and kill us? Uh, no, I just don't want to promote a pedophile. Well, he can't get much more promoted now because he is dead. Okay. So Like a Prayer became my favorite Madonna song once I got the Immaculate Collection album when I was maybe five or six. I love how all of these, all of the songs that you pick are just ones that you liked (laughs) as a child. And you're like, let me tell you about when I was five. Well, I think a lot of people growing up in the 90s had a lot of favorite beloved hits that kind of stuck around, right? Like, I told one of my mm-hmm. friends we're doing, like, a prayer next, and he was like, that's my jam. Hey, Pat, thanks for listening. So... Just, just calling out every individual <laughs> listener. Yeah, so I, I, I do try to pick songs that I think are universally beloved and interesting to our friends and people our age. Ah, okay, yes. So, right, it is a, it is a millennial bop, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I was obsessed with Madonna when I was little, so my babysitter had the tape of True Blue, so then I got the tape of True Blue. What is True Blue? Oh my gosh, it is so good. It still holds up. It was 
on repeat well, last summer. But what is it? True Blue is a Madonna album that oh, okay. came I thought, out. I thought it could have been like a movie or like, I don't know. Oh, okay. True Blue is an album that came out before Like a Prayer. And it has, every song is good. Great. So the Immaculate Collection was kind of a greatest hits. I, I seem to remember that coming out when we were kids. And it had a remix of Like a Prayer on it, which is a rips. remix. Okay. Like a Prayer came out during a transitional phase of Madonna's career. Tell, tell, me, tell me of this transitional period. Her acting career had initially shown promise, but was fizzling. Do you know what her first major motion picture role was? Uh, Desperately Seeking Susan? Yeah, in 1985. Hey, I thought it was a little later than that, but hey. The year of our birth. Wait, were you born in 85 too? Yes, okay. I was born in 85. Okay. The New York Times named it one of the 10 best films of 85. Oh, wow. I, I don't know anything really about that movie. Is Rosanna Arquette in that movie? Yeah. Yeah, it's like her and Rosanna Arquette. Aboard New Jersey, suburban housewife's fascination with a kooky character she's read about in the personal columns leads to shenanigans. And, sh- and Madonna is the kooky, I think, the kooky person that she reads about. Yeah. A very free-spirited Madonna. A manic pixie dream Madonna. Yeah, but like it's okay because it's two women? Question mark. Okay, so her next two roles were 1986's Shanghai Surprise and 87's Who Is That Girl, both of which flopped horribly. Uh, the only reason that I have heard of Shanghai Surprise is because this is the second time we've gone through this bit of information because <laughs> Lindsay mispronounced IMDb as IMBD and insisted on starting over. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, both of these movies flopped horribly. Now I can pretend. Oh, that's interesting. I've never heard that before. <laughs> um, Shanghai Surprise has a one and a half on IMDb. Rot- it has a 13% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Eight reviews, 13%. So only one out of eight of these reviews were- was positive. And it's from European-Films.net. So while the budget for Shanghai Surprise was $17 million, it grossed less than $2 million worldwide. It's not good. And who's that girl did only slightly better with a similar budget. It grows just over 7 million and has a 2.5 on IMDb. Who's that girl is what it's called. Who is that girl? Yeah. That was an 87. Is that a, there's a song. Who's that girl, right? I think so. When I hear the words, who's that girl? Who's that girl? I think of, I think of a song lyrics. So yeah. Um, Yeah. 38% on Rotten Tomatoes for who's that girl. Okay, so next she does... Oh, my, the song is by Madonna. Oh, great, 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 great. <laughs> it checks out. Dumb. Next, Madonna does a Broadway play, which is David Mamet's Speed the Plow. Oh, okay, very serious play. And it, it had a huge draw in part because of her star power. I think that's also the play that Lindsay Lohan decided to do. Ooh, can we verify in, that? In her, in, her, in her comeback? I can. Lindsay Lohan in Speed the Plow in 2014. According to reviews, the arrestingly husky Lohan had, quote, a genuine if unstable star presence and breathless naivete in her West End debut. Wow. Good job, Lindsay. Not me, right? No, LL. Little known fact, uh, lyrics for lunch inside lyrics for lunch, LL Cool J, actually the LL stands for Lindsay Lohan. His full name, Lindsay Lohan, Cool J. LL Cool J's name is Lindsay Lohan? Lindsay Lohan, Cool J. That's correct. No, his last name isn't really Cool J. So it's Lindsay Lohan is his full name, parentheses, Cool J. How is this not widely known? (laughs) Because I just made it up. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> Wait, did you really believe me? Yes. L- Lindsay, I have I have some bad news for you. <laughs> you believed me that LL Cool J's name was Lindsay Lohan Cool J? No, I didn't believe you that the Cool J was part of it. You just thought his name was Lindsay, Lindsay Lohan. Yes. <laughs> okay, so that's not true. Oh my god, I'm crying. <laughs> LL Cool J, the LL stands for Ladies Love. Ladies Love Cool James. <laughs> Listener, she thinks I'm making this one up too, but I'm not. <laughs> oh my goodness, okay. Whew. So I, I put some um, pictures for you. <laughs> <laughs> In the email. Uh-huh. So, okay, so I've got some pictures of Speed the Plow. And so Madonna's looking like kind of, would you call it reserved, right? She's in like a business suit in the in the main picture with like 80s glasses on. Mm-hmm. She co-stars Joe Montana and Ron Silver, so just a real who's who of late 80s shit. Mm-hmm. Ron Silver looks like Hart Bachner from Die Hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, he looks exactly like that. She's looking good. She's looking good. Classic, Ma- is it Madge? Midge? What's her nickname? Does she have a nickname or are we giving her one now? She has a nickname. Maddie? I think it's Madge. According to Google, Madonna has nine nicknames. Oh, okay. Quiz me. I know none of them. Okay. Take, take a guess. Maddie. One. Donna. N- zero. Don Don. <laughs> no. Moody. <laughs> no. Monster. No. Madster. <laughs> You're getting closer, actually. Madalicious. No. Esther. I might have I heard know. that. I might have heard that somewhere. M. Maddie. Madge. Mo. Nani. The Queen of Reinvention. The Material Girl. And the Queen <laughs> of Pop. Those, those Queen ones aren't really nicknames. Like Queen, that's a nickname. Um, I would call it maybe a moniker. Sure. You take it up with Google. Okay, so there's a little video that recaps some of what I just said. I think we can watch it, and then you can use snippets of it when you do this editing. Oh, thank you. The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. Ooh, John The king Pesh. of late-night television is going back to Wow. Work. The woman who once called herself a boy toy is hoping that after tonight, everybody else calls her a Broadway star. Lisa Gibbons has a special cover story. a little story condescending. Report. Yeah, I'm wondering if this this was like her her image was like like a huge sex pot, right? And this is like her push toward legitimacy. Mm-hmm. Her name is Madonna. But just who is that girl? In four and a half years, her image has gone from the brassy newcomer who made underwear fashionable to a glamorous brassy hybrid newcomer. of Marilyn Monroe and Jean Harlow. I guess it's what they mean by making Who's that girl's playing in the background? To her latest look of sophistication yeah. unveiled in this month's Harper's Bazaar. But while the look may change, her look of sophistication is of just remains. like dark it's hair. A combination of right. talent and drive okay. that was evidenced as far and back tamed. as 1984. Tamed, yeah. She's still wearing something pretty holiday. revealing, though. I'm out to do something, and I'm going to do what I have to get there. If you think conquering the concert stage, the music charts, and the silver screen Chess would be the musical enough, is on Madonna, the poster behind her, which was written by the guy from Broadway. ABBA. Madonna oh, really? Is now hitting yeah. the Broadway stage in Speed the Plow by Pulitzer Prize winning playwright David Mamet. In an unglamorous secondary role. In an role, unglamorous secondary role. Be Ron more Silver. condescending. Yeah, this, this woman is bringing the heat. And to the critics that she is a serious actress. Super condescending. So that was May 1988. And when the album Like a Prayer comes out, 
a year later. It's March of 89. At this point, Madonna had been an international star for just over four years. So big. Big, but still four years. To me, that was kind of crazy because I, as far as I've been alive, I've always known Madonna as a huge international star. Yeah, this is still kind of in, in her first act, let's say. Right. And there are plenty of people who were big for four years and then phew, fizzled. Like 98 degrees. <laughs> 98 degrees. Yeah, just like that. So yeah, so she's becoming an even bigger and bigger pop sensation. Uh, but at the same time, her marriage to actor Sean Penn is publicly falling apart. I've heard a rumor about a thing that happened between Madonna and Sean Penn, and I don't necessarily know it's true, but it's like some crazy rumor that he like kept her tied to a chair or something. Yes, that is one of the rumors, that he tied her up to a chair and beat her. Woof! Also, that he cracked her skull with a baseball bat and she was hospitalized for it. Sean Penn, what are you doing, man? So Madonna actually later denied the allegations, but it's speculated that she was lying about that. Um, Sean Penn went to jail in 1987 i think for abusing madonna no for reckless driving and for punching an extra on set (laughs) okay sure i've wanted to punch extras before it's fine (laughs) well he actually did it and he had to go he got sentenced to jail for 60 days and this was while they were married this was before before they got divorced so that's two years before like a prayer is coming out their marriage is publicly crumbling the cover of the Like a Prayer single portrayed the letters MLVC with a P falling away. MLVC. Are those her initials and then pen is falling off? Yes. Madonna Louise Veronica Ciccone. And then- Wait, her, her real Christian name is Madonna? Yeah. Oh, I, did, I thought that it was like a stage name. No, her name is Madonna Louise Veronica Ciccone. Ciccone. Yeah, so we got the pen falling away. So her brother... I think, did the illustration for that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. She's called the entire album a collection of songs about my mother, my father, and bonds with my family. Very Italian. (laughs) Yeah. She also told the New York Times, the theme of Catholicism runs rampant through the album. It's me struggling with the mystery and magic that surrounds it. My own Catholicism is in constant upheaval. When I left home at 17 and went to New York, which is the city with the most sinners, I renounced the traditional meaning of Catholicism in terms of how I would live my life. But I never stopped feeling the guilt and shame that are ingrained in you if you are brought up Catholic. That's super interesting. I, 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 I mean, her name is Madonna, so there's like so many Catholic ties that are immediately, you know, come to mind. But there is this this thing of like, if I hear Madonna, and it's not in reference to the singer, what I what I think or what I'm expecting to hear is the Madonna whore dichotomy. And she's like a living mm-hmm. embodiment of that because mm-hmm. she's like she's like embracing the Catholicism while still being outwardly sexual, which some people will slut shame or, you know, woman shame. And her name is Madonna and she's acting, quote unquote, like a whore. It's it's really interesting. The whole situation. It is really interesting. And this album, I think, really personifies that about her. She dedicated the album to her mother who died of breast cancer when she was a little girl. Oh, well. And she said its songs intertwine her search for faith with her search for her mother. Interesting. So the album quickly saw international acclaim and went quadruple platinum in the U.S., with Rolling Stone calling it as close to art as pop music gets. Okay, fuck you, Rolling Stone. That's such a burn. You don't say that shit about the Beatles. Yeah, and it's like, Rolling Stone, come on, you make your whole living off of pop music. You're named after a pop song 
and a band that named itself after a pop song and like <laughs> eat shit. Yeah, eat shit. I'm wondering if that's like the their a- their age is starting to show and their like male maleness is starting to show because they wouldn't say that about like any male pop star. Maybe they would. I don't know. I also don't know. There were parts of some of the the articles they wrote about her at the time that I thought were really misogynistic in a way. Um, you know, she had this big album coming out and the amount of time the interviewer spent on asking her about Sean and her relationship. And she kept saying, I'm not here to talk about that. And then he'd be like, yeah, but, and then ask her again, another question about their relationship, which just seems super disrespectful. And I wondered, do they badger male stars this way? They do just about different shit. Like not, (laughs) not in the same condescending kind of way. Horrible. Yeah, it was tough. So, but the song Like a Prayer became Madonna's seventh number one hit on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Holy shit, that's so many number one hits. Four times, so so four million copies. Jesus. So let's listen to it. Let's listen to it. Okay. So we've got church organ already, right? Which is like already this religious illusion. Right. The song has interesting dynamics, right? Because it has this this cool backbeat that's like a dance thing, and then it completely cuts out and is basically like an acapella thing until the hook comes back in, which is not something I'd expect us to hear in a pop song. Yeah. So this is what I'll say. It's lyrically, right? It seems pretty innocuous, but if you come at it with the knowledge of that Madonna is supposed to be like this ultra sexy character, like you can kind of read into, you know, like you can read a sub dom relationship into the lyrics of the song that I don't actually think are there, but you know, because it's Madonna, it's gotta be about something salacious. No, I think the lyrics were absolutely meant to be a double entendre of sorts. Oh, really? Yeah, we'll get to that. Well, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm down on my knees. I want to take you there. Is 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 a, kind of a single entendre. <laughs> This is interesting. The bridge is just the, the the first verse in a different with a different backing set of chords. That's that's fun. So my dad made a tape he put this CD on a tape for me so I could listen to it in the car when my mom is driving me around. Right. And the album played on both sides of the tape. I was trying to wrap my head around how this worked last night when I was falling asleep because on one side, this song would get cut off. Then mm-hmm. if you flip the tape, it would start over again, but Like a Prayer would come at the end again, but be all the way through. There, were, So there are different recording modes for these these magnetic tapes there's like lp and slp and you know so i think probably one side was recorded in a in a slower slower playback so regardless like when it got to the song i would be in the back seat like please don't get cut off please don't get cut off (laughs) which side is it yeah I meant to go back and listen to the Immaculate Collection version. The dance version? The, the remix. Yeah. Because I don't really remember it being that much different. Probably isn't. But I rem- I didn't remember it. When this song starts, there's like that guitar in the beginning. Yeah, that, that was sounds not like it's there. A, sounds like a bleed from a, the previous song on the record. I guess. I don't know, actually. Very princey. It says Prince played in the opening of this track. Yeah, so there you go. That's 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 the opening of the track. So what is the song about? Um, okay. So it I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I think like I said, you know, there are some religious allusions and some kind of like giving up your power allusions that could be sexual but also could just not be. So mm-hmm. But do you want to hear what she has said about it? Yes, I I desperately want to hear what she has said about it. Okay. Madonna told Rolling Stone, it's the song of a passionate young girl, so in love with God, that it's almost as though he, capital H, were the male Mm -hmm. figure in her life. She said, from around 8 to 12 years old, I had the same feelings. I really wanted to be a nun. There's like an old stand-up bit from the 90s where it's like a a guy pretending to be a priest being like, your body is a vessel with which you make love to God. And they're like, no, that's not it. But that's basically what she's saying, right? Is like, she loves God so much that that there is like a sexually suggestive element to her relationship with that this higher power which like i don't know if that's true but like it's a good it's definitely a good soundbite right so as we said before i think that the lyrics serve as a double entendre for religion and sex at the same sure time so the andre 
Crouch Gospel Choir sang on this track, but they refused to appear in the video. What? Okay. <laughs> this is why. From, this is from Song Facts. When Crouch examined the lyrics to Like a Prayer, he approved of the religious imagery with Madonna on her knees sending a prayer to the Lord above. Sure. Add in a church organ and Crouch's holy choir, and you've got yourself a gospel song approved by a famous pastor. Crouch realized his error, though, when he saw plans for the sexually charged video and pulled his choir from the clip. Amazing. A choir does appear, but they are miming the Crouch choir's vocals. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> why do you, you want to do what to whom? <laughs> yeah. Um, just why do I love that? Because as someone who has like been on the on the receiving end or on the giving end of like, hey, can we film here? It's like kind of a horror movie, but like it's not gonna like make your church look bad. And having to like to to toe a very very uh delicate line to get someone to say yes to filming in a in a holy place. Um, I respect the hell out of someone who can do it effectively. Mm. And didn't you get in trouble for using a dead cow head or something for religious reasons? I, I did get in trouble for using a dead cow. So, so this is a this is a side story that might not make the final cut of the show. But um, we were filming in like a market in Malaysia, and there was a dead cow head just like laying around. And so the guy who was filming, just filming some B roll, included it in one of the cuts. And our executive producer is Hindu, and was like, "This is so fucking offensive." And I was like, "I, uh, uh whoops, sorry." Uh, <laughs> But we didn't kill a cow. You didn't kill a cow. I did not kill the cow. Okay. So here's what Rolling Stone said of the song at the time. The ethereal title song itself, which opens with Madonna quietly reciting the rosary, seems to portend a personal spiritual purge. It is the debut of the philosophical Madonna, who, at 30, seems to be making a public policy changeover. Getting it on has been stoically supplemented by getting on with it. No, Rolling Stone, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) So to me, this seems to be a commentary on her like a virgin image, her sexier Mm -hmm. image, and what's happening in her personal life. So getting on with it. Right. Getting on with it it being life or getting on with like growing up or, you know, putting her her quote unquote slutty past behind her. We'll do we'll do a mini lyrics for lunch at the end about like a virgin because there's a fun little story about that. But we'll I'll save it for the end. You want to save it? Yeah, I'll save it. Okay. Unless unless you think I should do it now. I'd like to hear it. Yeah, so Like a Virgin was from 1984 from uh, her second studio album also called Like a Virgin, but it had this kind of second life because of the 1991 movie Reservoir Dogs. So in the beginning of Reservoir Dogs, Quentin Tarantino and company are debating the meaning of Like a Virgin, and Tarantino uh, alleges through him his, himself and his characters that Like a Virgin is about just big dicks and like a woman who who is so quote unquote slutty that she doesn't feel the pain of of a big dick anymore, and so she meets a guy who's got a huge dick and. <laughs> And it makes her hurt like the very first time. And this is so, yeah. So Madonna responded to this. She told in a Rolling Stone interview, she explained how it was about emotions rather than sex. She says, quote, I was singing about how something made me feel a certain way, brand new and fresh. And everyone else interpreted it as, quote, I don't want to be a virgin anymore. Fuck my brains out. And that's not what I sang at all and so years later 
after seeing the scene in Reservoir Dogs, Madonna gave Quentin Tarantino a copy of her erotica album with the inscription signed to Quentin. It's not about dick. It's about love, Madonna. <laughs> okay. Um, that is amazing, but I, I'm also confused. She's using so much sexual innuendo and then saying it's not about sex. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure. So, like, Like a Virgin is about, I mean, it's clearly about sex. The song's called Like a Virgin Touch for the very first time. But I think his specific take on it was that it was just about a guy whose dick is so big. Yeah, horse Right, it's like, a, it's like the male fantasy, right? Like, oh, my dick is so big that it, even though she's not a virgin, she's been around the block a few times. She knows what she's doing around these parts, but it still feels like she's a virgin because my dick is so big. Swear to God, the hooker gave the money back. <laughs> So when did Erotica come out that she sent that? So Erotica is in 92, right? So it's okay. the it's the album later. that came out af- after Reservoir Dogs came out. It's about love. Oh, it was about love. It's about love. Um, just like her relationship with Sean Penn. It was about love? <laughs> I mean, I think she really did love him. And you see this with relationships all the time. Eventually, they just run their course, and and with this, it seemed like there was a lot, actual lot of abuse, probably, and and reasons yeah. to to leave. But it's hard to leave, and she probably, you know, gave it gave it her all and stayed for as long as she could. Um, and so, when as we've said many times, this album came out, she, I think she had just she had just bought a house, her own house, which was something like a two bedroom but but the tabloids were reporting that it was a five bedroom and so so we're already like or there's already a a cloud around Madonna as this big spending fast moving woman wild woman right here's what rolling stone wrote at the time Madonna's woes dangle like shredded pulp from the jaws of gossip carnivores. Shut, oh, shut up, Rolling Stone. Rolling, <laughs> you're just trying to turn me against Rolling Stone this entire <laughs> podcast. Wait, shut I'm the not fuck dead. up, guys. <laughs> Among supermarket literature queens, she is the ultimate checkout girl. I'm going to throw up. Lately, she is consoling herself with capitalism. Material girl. On the day I meet her to begin the first two wide-ranging discussions, Pepsi announces that it has enlisted the singer to blitz the Cola War Zone. She will reportedly earn $5 million for one year's allegiance, which would include commercials and tour sponsorship. In addition, she has been busily overseeing the editing of the Like a Prayer video and preparing for her role as a cheeky vixen in Warren Beatty's film Dick Tracy. Hell yeah. So I absolutely conflated Dick Tracy in my mind with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, it, I get it because it's got similar styles and came out within a couple years of each other. Okay. Because then I was like, I thought she was in that and then, no. No. There's no real mall in Roger Rabbit. This is Jessica Rabbit. That's it? Yeah. Okay. But she's a cartoon, not a human. I've seen, I, I have seen them both. I just okay, but when you close your eyes in my brain, they are you one. picture <laughs> who framed Roger Rabbit, is Madonna a human being in it? Yeah, she's like the blonde in the coat. Mm-hmm. So you know that that's you know that that's wrong because <laughs> that's Dick Tracy, sure. Right. So she's making this video of like a prayer during this interview, right? She's busily overseeing the editing. Um, this is besides the Immaculate Collection being the first CD I can remember owning. This is the first music video I can remember seeing. 
Interesting. I wasn't allowed to watch MTV or VH1. My parents um, were very strict about which media I could consume. And my mom always said that music videos were too sexual. <laughs> well, she wasn't wrong about this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one evening, my dad was watching TV, and this had to be 89 or 90 because my dad still lived in my house. And he called me down into the fa- family room to show me the video. Oh, wow. So let's watch that video. So we've got like a trash can fire. We have the guitar riff still. Whoa! There's a there's a burning cross in front of a what looks like a church. The church looks like it's on fire inside. Yes, but the burning cross is is got me a real got me really feeling a certain way about stuff. So I knew in this video that she was like with a hot black priest. Yeah. Or a hot black vision of Jesus or whatever. Saint. And saint. And I thought that that is why people mainly freaked out. And I did not know or remember about the giant burning cross. <laughs> So she's lustfully singing out to this black saint statue. Mm-hmm. Which is he going to come alive? Is this like the plot of Mannequin? It is. Shit. <laughs> she's laying down. Yeah. So is this, do we think this is like a troll job? Is she like, here I go, I'm going to do something. I'm going to convince everyone that this is one thing and then and that I'm not going to be sexy Madonna anymore and now I'm just going to like put this dude's toe in my mouth. <laughs> I think she was very thoughtful about the messaging that she was sending and she was very aware of her audience and she was smart about it. Sure. I don't lo- I don't love this guy coming alive but still made a plaster. So this is Leon what? Robinson? What's his last name? I don't know. The guy from Cool Runnings? I don't know. I mean, I've seen I've seen Cool Runnings. Yeah, Leanne Robinson. Which is after this? Cool Runnings was like ninety two. So he got his. This is where he got his start. <laughs> guys, guys at Disney are like, should we get the guy from the Like a Prayer video? <laughs> oh, so she's got the stigmata. Mm-hmm. So wait. She's got the stigmata, so she's she's Jesus? I don't understand how the stigmata works, actually. Have you seen Stigmata the movie? No. I'm surprised. Well, you know, I gotta watch all of High School Musical. The musical, the series, too? I can't wait for season two to come out. <laughs> Oh, so now we got a cop, and there's like a black dude and a white woman. So, so this is very. Now we're, now we're into like current events, right? The the oh, she's dancing in front of a bunch of burning crosses, but the cops are, are arresting a black man for basically looking after a white woman as she's passed out. Well, with the, I, we saw some white guys like beat her up or something. Yeah. So we're not mincing words about like what this is about. 
this is about institutionalized racism. At least a video, right, is about institutionalized racism in the United States. A hundred percent. Now she's dancing with the choir. This is a great video. I've I don't know that I've ever seen this all the way through. So now he seems to be in jail. She's at the courthouse. Yeah, trying. And by so, he, so they this lock is the, the, s- the man who is trying to help the woman. Played by the same guy who plays the black Jesus saint fella. And there's this kind of meta thing where everyone's now taking their bows. Very interesting video. And the curtain call. Yeah. The end. That's all, folks. Okay. So, these are Madonna's own words of what happens in the video. A girl on the street witnesses an assault on a young woman. Afraid to get involved because she might get hurt, she is frozen in fear. A black man walking down the street also sees the incident and decides to help the woman. But just then, the police arrive and arrest him. As they take him away, she looks up and sees one of the gang members who assaulted the girl. He gives her a look that says she'll be dead if she tells. The girl runs, not knowing where to go until she sees a church. She goes in and sees a saint in a cage who looks very much like the black man on the street, and she says a prayer to help her make the right decision. He seems to be crying, but she is not sure. She lies down on a pew and falls into a dream in which she begins to tumble in space with no one to break her fall. Suddenly, she is caught by a woman who represents earth and emotional strength and who tosses her back up and tells her to do the right thing. Still dreaming, she returns to the saint, and her religious and erotic feelings begin to stir. Oh, man. The saint becomes a man. She picks up a knife and cuts her hands. That's the guilt in Catholicism, that if you do something that feels good, you will be punished. As the Mm. choir sings, she reaches an orgasm crescendo of sexual fulfillment intertwined with her love of God. She knows that nothing's going to happen to her if she does what she believes is right. She wakes up, goes to the jail, tells the police the man is innocent, and he is freed. Then everybody takes a bow, as if to say, we all play a part in this little scenario. Wow. I mean, I, I, I can follow that when you're reading it to me, but the fact that Madonna plays both the woman and the, and the assaulted woman is a, is a little, a might bit confusing. Was that definitely her, the assaulted woman? I think so. The one that was like laying on the couch. I actually wasn't sure. It just seemed like a lot of hair. Mm, 80s. (laughs) You could be right. I I wasn't sure. When the video was still forthcoming, Rolling Stone, in this interview that I have mixed feelings about, asked her about the Pepsi commercial. So she she signed a five-year deal with Pepsi that involved her doing commercials and radio spots and stuff, right? And they were going to fund her tour. Okay. Pepsi presents Madonna's Like a Prayer Tour. Right. So let's do a little table read of this quick Q&A about Pepsi. Do you want me to be Madonna or do you want me to be Rolling Stone? Um, I'll be Rolling Stone. I'm, I'm, getting limber, I'm getting limbered up to be Madonna. You're using the song Like a Prayer in your Pepsi commercial. You're not going to call it Like a Pepsi, are you? Well, I wouldn't put Pepsi in any of my songs. Pepsi is Pepsi and I'm me. But why do the commercial? You don't need the dough, do you? No, but I do consider it a challenge to make a commercial that has some sort of artistic value. I like the challenge of merging art and commerce. As far as I'm concerned, making a video is also a commercial. I agree with her. The Pepsi spot is a great and different way to expose the record. Record companies just don't have the money to finance that kind of publicity. As it is, the music will be playing in the background, and the can of Pepsi is positioned very subliminally. The camera pans by it, so it's not a hard sell commercial. Mm-hmm. The best laid plans. Yeah. Also, 
I, I have a I have like the the film teacher in me gets like a little itchy when people use the word pan incorrectly. Oh, tell us. So a pan is when the camera's in a fixed position and kind of shifts its hips back and forth. The tripod shifts its hips back and forth, right? So it's short for panorama, if mm-hmm. you think of it that way. But, you know, non-film people will refer to any kind of camera move as a pan. You can pan in, out, up, down. It's not really how it works in real life. So let's see if it's actually a pan. We will. First, I'm going to read you a little bit from Song Facts. Like a Prayer was the first song by a major artist to be used in a commercial before being released to stores or radio stations. With the Cola Wars heating up, Pepsi signed Madonna to a $5 million endorsement deal, which included a two-minute commercial that would debut this song. The spot, overseen by Pepsi's ad agency, BBDO, was called Make-A-Wish, and it showed Madonna watching an eight-year-old version of herself and doing some jubilant street dancing. Cool. The commercial was promoted in a 30-second spot that aired during the Grammy Awards on February 22, 1989. So it's a commercial for a commercial during the Grammys. It's, so it's a commercial for commercial. We, we we do that also for like movies now where it's like a trailer release trailer for like the Avengers or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah. this is huge. This is like what other commercial had this much buzz on it? Maybe the Apple commercial from 1984. I wasn't alive. I don't remember it. It's the one that's like 80, like the 1984 where the woman swings the hammer into the big TV. Okay. Then on March 2nd, it aired. Like the real spot, the two minute mm. song aired on primetime television worldwide, including in America where it was seen on the Cosby show. Woof, guys. <laughs> okay. So, did it, was it integrated into the Cosby show? Like Theo sitting down, he's like, let's see what's on TV today. Oh, Madonna's got a new Pepsi commercial. Right? That's a great question. It's not clear so. from how it said it was, you know, seen on the Cosby show, but I think they meant during. Yeah. I'm, and I'm also sure that the Cosby show is one of the biggest shows at in the world at the time the pepsi people claim that 250 million viewers saw the ad and that they oh were God. clearly the choice of the younger generation as their partnerships with whitney houston michael jackson and now madonna demonstrated well yeah but they almost set michael jackson on fire and by almost i mean did they did set michael jackson on fire they did tell me more about yeah this. yeah uh michael jackson was doing a pepsi commercial and one of the lights i think exploded and set his hair on fire oh my and god this this corresponds to around the time that he started um bleaching his skin and oh. so uh, there was like some speculation that that's why that he was like scarred like fan of the opera oh from goodness. the pepsi shoot but that was a rumor uh yeah the vitiligo thing i also think is not real i think he just like had a a lot of self-hatred stuff that he was dealing with forever um but yeah so pepsi the pepsi shoot did set michael jackson's hair on fire briefly okay so let's watch the video the pepsi video pepsi commercial so there's a sign that says madonna's eighth birthday right i'm wondering if that's real though i think that this is all dot like staged footage no, yeah. This is the commercial, though. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're p- actually pushing in on a bottle of soda with a straw in it that must be Pepsi. Oh, and they switch. So it's definitely not her real foot. The real footage. Never no, mind. No. <laughs> uh, and we're tracking past a a building with a Pepsi sign in it, and we just pushed in on a Pepsi sign. And she's holding a Pepsi. Then there's like a Catholic school situation. <laughs> Fades to Madonna. This is like another brick in the wall. It's creepy. 
It is creepy. And it has and it has a little girl idolizing a kind of a salacious picture of Madonna, which I'm sure people will have problems with. Yeah, there there's Pepsi all over the place. There's Pepsi signs, she's drinking a Pepsi. There's I, I've not seen a single pan past <laughs> Pepsi though. Come on, Madge. What's wrong? Now we have a choir. Yeah, she's in like kind of a black church situation. It's a really long commercial. It's two minutes long. Two minutes. Yeah, it's it's long. And it's not, it's like there is a narrative, but it's not, it doesn't really justify. Oh, all cuts out. She's smiling. And now she's cheersing the Pepsi. Make a wish. With her eight-year-old self. And tells her to a make a wish. A generation ahead. Yeah. Okay. It's not my favorite commercial I've ever seen. It's kind of pretty strange. Um, it's weird, but like the 80s were a weird time. It's true. So after this commercial aired, the song was released the next day. And Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. And it was instantly added to radio playlists around the world. Um, it was also added to MTV. But as we know, instead of creating the video that was an extension of the commercial, Madonna created her own video. Oh, so wait, so the music video was supposed to be an extension of the commercial originally. That's what Pepsi thought was going to happen. Oh, it, oh, so oh, interesting. We know what happens in in the real video now. Yeah, not not a, <laughs> not a Pepsi to be seen. Not a Pepsi, there's an interracial kiss. Um, the stigmata, the burning crosses. There's a an arrest of a black man. It's unclear to me if Pepsi thought that the video was going to have pepsi in it or or if they just thought that this the same concept would be followed Mm -hmm. but either way they were assaulted by religious groups who were outraged the american family association and the vatica condemned it pepsi was wait wait, say that one more time the the who condemned it the american family association and the vatican and the vatican so the pope so someone walked into the pope's office and was like jp the two john paul Take yeah. a look at this fucking video here. So he actually was encouraging fans in Italy to boycott Madonna. Okay. Good job, everyone. Cance- um, cancel culture. Run amok. Yeah. Um, so Pepsi dropped Madonna, and they never aired the commercial again. So they only ever aired it once, or for like a day. Right. In the beginning. I don't know how that works. I mean, were they like, pull the plug, and then it took a, f- a couple of days? Yeah, I'm not know. really sure. But they pulled the plug right away. According to Song Facts... Madonna and MTV were the big winners here. Those who thought she came off as a recalcitrant priss tended to be older, conservative folks who are far outside of her target audience. And the kind of authority figures her fan base, the same ones Pepsi was going after, despised. Yeah. So in defying her corporate suitor, Madonna showed that her art was more important than their money. Pepsi got the song for one day, but MTV, always a Madonna stronghold, got the rest of the run and benefited from the controversy as viewers tuned in to see what all the fuss was about. So so I so now I just want to go back to that quote where she says, I consider it a challenge making a commercial that has artistic value, merging art and commerce as far as I'm concerned. Music video is also like a commercial. The Pepsi spot is great and different the way they expose the right. So all this was like basically bullshit, right? Like this was like a calculated plan or at least she like was aware that this could have been the outcome of what she was doing. A hundred percent. So I love that. I respect the fuck out of that, that she's just like 
rope doping people. Yeah, and and that's why I was also saying I think this music video is really smart. I think she totally knew what she was doing. Yeah. So Pepsi had had two more commercials planned and was going to sponsor Madonna's Blonde Ambition tour, which we have mentioned, but I did not remember the name was Blonde Ambition. Just funny because she's a brunette now, right? They dropped all association with her. She got to keep the five million. <laughs> Fuck yeah! <laughs> and she said, <laughs> <Good job. laughs> "She said I made a video and it made some people mad. Drank some Pepsi and called it a day." Oh, I respect the fuck out of that too. <laughs> I know it's so great. Oh, I also wanted to add. Pepsi asked MTV to withdraw the video, and they denied, declined. Also, also, <laughs> also excellent. And then the video won the Viewer's Choice Award at the 1989 MTV Music Video Awards. Very cool. Why did I think this video was banned? Well, it was banned by the Vatican. Sure. Which, I'm not Catholic, so I don't really understand how that works. The Vatican, how do they ban videos? They're not showing I videos. I think that they're just like, <laughs> we, don't, we don't like it. Right, right, right. So here's a video of Madonna talking about the negative reaction to the video. It's a 1989 interview. I mean, it's a very taboo subject to have an interracial relationship you know what i mean um respect the blonde and yeah the idea of that kind of joyousness in the church you know what i mean yeah. it, it dealt with a lot of taboos and um and it made people afraid and i think the people who reacted negatively to it were afraid of their own feelings that they have about those she's ten thousand percent right <laughs> yeah. and like doing it on church grounds is like even more transgressive right yeah not only is she kissing a black man, she's doing it in a church. So last month, The Hollywood Reporter interviewed the video's director, Mary Lambert, because of the waves the Montero video was making. Okay. So I'm going to read a little bit of that. The Montero Call Me By Your Name video, with its glistening pull to hell and sexy satanic lap dance, has reignited the culture wars in ways not seen since the 1980s. Back then, Madonna's video for Like a Prayer was the controversy to beat. Yeah, and the Montero video is great. Fabulous. Just that's just my opinion of it. <laughs> yeah, I have I have no more nothing more to add than that song slaps and the video is great. Yeah, okay, we support it. So Lambert told the Hollywood Reporter, "I wanted to explore the correlation between sexual ecstasy and religious ecstasy. The idea of a black Jesus was scary to a lot of people." Uh huh. Still, that character came from Madonna telling me she wanted to fuck a black guy on the altar. Lambert well, recalls. Okay. I said, well, why not have it be a black Jesus? Let's go all the way. Madonna liked that. I have mixed feelings about that. I think, you know, ultimately her heart's in the right place, but like fetishizing a black body like that, like I, she's starting from a place of like, I want to fuck a black dude. You make a video about that, Mary. Right. And I don't, Mary is, by the way, like in her 60s now. She's, I think, 69. So nice. I, nothing that Madonna has said really directly translates into this translation right yeah yeah and so when she said it at the time so like the the quote that she said of of the plot of the video that was like her at the time right and this is f almost 40 years on right from the director yeah who i a absolutely think you know has an interesting lens i'll just say an interesting lens so okay so the burning crosses evoke the idea of appropriation Lambert continues, that the Ku Klux Klan could take a cross, which is a holy symbol to a lot of people, and appropriate it in a way to instill fear and horror and promote race hatred. And we wanted to turn that on its head. Yeah, they're reappropriating. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I love that. I love that idea. And then about the backlash, Lambert said, I don't remember anybody standing up for it. 
except the general public. I was very proud of that. That doesn't make sense, but okay. <laughs> She's old. About the Montero video, she called it an amazing visual poem, a sort of folktale about fucking the devil, basically. Okay, so she really, so she's really just like right there on the surface. Mary Lambert also directed the 1989 Pet Cemetery movie no. and um, a bunch of, and Pet Cemetery too, a bunch of music videos and. Not a ton of other things. One episode of the Goldbergs coming up this year. So there's a March 1989 New York Times article by Stephen Holden titled, Madonna Recreates Herself, M-Dash, Again. M-Dash, okay. She's only four years into her, her career. And she's already recreating herself for a second, M-dash third again. time. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. I, I could be reading it wrong, but I, I felt it was a little condescending. But there, were, there was a lot that Holden said that I actually did like. In Like a Prayer, the music video and title song of an album that represents Madonna's convincing bid for recognition as a serious rock artist. What is up with you fucking guys with this with this fucking she's serious now stuff? It's so rude. Material Girl slaps. I, everything. Listen, as soon as we get off this call, I know you're not going to do this, but I really want you to listen to True Blue. <laughs> okay. It is so The whole good. record? The whole thing. Okay, so... A convincing bid for recognition as a serious rock artist, the 30-year-old star has never looked more beautiful or sung with more feeling. The songs, which deal directly and very emotionally with her failed marriage to the actor Sean Penn, her family, and her Catholic girlhood, transcend the brassy dance pop of her three previous records to reveal Madonna as a vulnerable human being. Surprise! She's a human woman! Uh, also, like, like they're all used, they're, they're all pulling from the same quiver of, like, adjectives too she's brassy she's young she's poppy and now she's serious yeah it's so ridiculous burning crosses carried forward by lush caribbean flavored pop gospel music like a prayer mm. surpasses madonna's earlier music videos in its heady swirl of sacred and profane images it is titillating heart tugging and funny all at once funny would we say funny? I would not say funny. <laughs> they arrested an innocent black man. <laughs> Hilarious. Right? The one redeeming thing that I, I took out of this New York Times article was how he describes her image. And not necessarily because he does it well in a way that isn't colored by the patriarchy. It just, it sure. really got me thinking. As we've already talked about, you know, Madonna's image was loaded with sex appeal. But at the same time, there's no denying that she held a certain amount of control over it that women let's say in the early 2000s, were not able to obtain. Yeah, she, she was sexy on her own terms and very much in control of the narrative. Yeah. The sex narrative that she was even saying. And when she came onto the scene, she kind of had this post-teen rebel clad in lingerie mm -hmm. look about her. Which is like what Billie Eilish is just starting to do now, right? And Did people are being absolute dicks about it. Bowl me over with a feather that someone's like, this 19-year-old girl can't do the thing that she wants to do. Fuck her. <laughs> it really got me thinking about the past 30, 30 years and, and the different role that the paparazzi has played and the tabloids. And, and I, I was thinking about this one famed Newsweek cover with Paris Hilton and Britney Spears on it. Do you mm -hmm. remember this cover, The Girl's Gone Wild? Um, I think I saw it in the Britney documentary. Oh, I think I was like, it was like refreshed in my, in my mind. Okay. I actually didn't recall that from there, but that makes a lot of sense that it would be in there. So it says the girl's gone wild effect and it's Britney kind of mean mugging the camera 
with Paris Hilton's arm over her shoulder. And what does it say above that? Shiite death cults and Bush's Truman fixation. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> below that. Out, out of control celebs and online sleaze fuel a new debate over kids and values. So, uh, right. So this, uh, this conversation is pretty loud right now. When you start blaming women for kids' values... Um, something that I think is been pervasive like our entire lives is policing the way that women dress and and yes. even when we were kids, right? So if I'm in fifth grade and I'm told I have to go home because I'm wearing spaghetti straps because it's distracting the boys, where the boys' behavior is the, actually the problem, it's not my clothing. That's what we're trying to pre- preserve, right? We're trying to preserve the, the boys' learning experience. I think that there's like an extra layer of, of sinisterness with someone like Britney Spears because Britney Spears was what, like 17 and we're like, oh, okay, Brittany, you're going to be in a schoolgirl outfit that's too mm-hmm. small for you, singing a song about like how much everyone wants to fuck you. And then a year later, they're like, why is Britney Spears such a whore? Like, <laughs> yeah. like you did this to her, then blamed her for doing this, and then blamed her for corrupting your kids because you wouldn't want that to happen to your kids, but you did it to this poor girl from Louisiana. 100%. So yeah, I have I have a lot of strong feelings about the way we treat celebrities specifically celebrity women absolutely me too and that's why it got me thinking about madonna and how her image her reputation stayed very much intact in my opinion i'm not a madonna scholar but even though i'm reading these condescending articles and and it's annoying the way they're talking about her it's absolutely nothing like we had with with lindsay lohan with britney even with jessica simpson I think the interesting thing is is the thing that you just brought up, which is that like there's this, there's always been a sense of power with Madonna's image that was not it was male gazy, but there was like this thing of like she knows that you're looking at her and she likes it and mm-hmm. and guess the fuck what like this is this was her plan all along when with Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears it was it's more of like oh she's off limits because she's a little too young but like it's okay if you take a peek she won't notice and mm. and there's like it's a different narrative and britney when she tried to transition from one to the other there was like a fucking problem with that right like when she kissed madonna on stage at the vmas everyone was like lost their fucking mind yeah which is apparently why justin timberlake coordinated the the wardrobe malfunction yes so i have i i have a very this is another little side story, but like I, so I was the perfect age and audience to be the person scandalized by the wardrobe malfunction because I was a 17 year old boy at the time watching the Super Bowl. And I, I saw the thing happen. I saw Justin Timberlake rip off Janet Jackson's top and there was a pasty on her breast. And I went, huh. And then I just went back to what I was doing, right? <laughs> so, like, as someone who was the who was the person that everyone was worried about, the child who should not be old enough to see a boob on TV. Uh, okay, like that was such a non-story that everyone made a huge story about. And who was like, punished for it? Oh, clearly <laughs> Janet was it's punished Janet. for it not for Justin. having a boob, right? Right, and also, you know the the idea of of broadcasting things that might be even remotely salacious to people was also punished for it, right? Like we were in a really kind of reactionary 
time in the country anyway. We had like 9-11 had just happened. We just started the Iraq war. And so these like family values, this family values shit was like really, really pervasive everywhere. And this was just like another, another kind of dam that broke for the conservative wave that was in the early 2000s. It like still makes me want to fucking vomit. <laughs> How dare you have a boob? Yeah, which was like... How dare you have a nipple that was covered up? I also, the fucking, the lies that were told afterwards of like, oh my God, it was a malfunction. We never meant for this to happen. This was how, we're so sorry. We've wronged the American people. Like all of that was clearly transparently bullshit. Like it happened at the, I'll have you naked at the end of the song, part of the song. (laughs) Yeah. Come on guys. How stupid do you think we are? Yeah, he did that on purpose. Um, I think I also think that she like signed off on it. No, well, again, this hasn't been fact checked by me, but I read something that was from like Justin's wardrobe artist wardrobe. Yeah, the wardrobe person. That there was something that they were that they had planned that Janet had signed off on. She was wearing some kind of like pearl thong or something that he was gonna like give a sneak peek to, but then he mm-hmm. really wanted to one up Britney, and so he just ripped her shirt. I, I find it hard to believe that she had such a specifically place, placed pasty without any inkling that he could possibly be doing that. And I think I think that there's probably nipple truth chafing. in the story. Nipple, right. <laughs> it's true. Um, I think I think there's truth in the story that maybe he wanted to one up Britney and then kind of like coerced the whole team into doing it bigger. But I don't think that this I don't think that the nipple thing, this is my own opinion, and it's not based on any breeding or just like being alive at the time. As I think that she probably the the time that he ripped off the thing on her on her chest was probably not the first time that she'd ever heard that that was gonna happen. Okay. You know what I mean? I think I think both can be true at the same time that he he wanted to do it, he coerced it, he went a little bit rogue, but I don't think he went rogue on live television in front of 200 million people. I definitely don't know, and I've had a lot of mixed feelings lately because Justin has been seeming like a real asshole, but I really really loved him and <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, I it it is it is a I'm sure that we could do an entire story about that that one song or about his kind of post Britney breakup album. Yeah, I don't yeah, maybe we'll talk about it another day because it is yeah. super interesting and it's almost like Nipplegate. <laughs> but which also which also this that leads into this this kind of Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan, uh Paris Hilton obsession of like nip slips. Do you remember when everything was like, oh my God, Lindsay had a nip slip getting oh, out yeah. of a limo. Like leave her the fuck alone. What is <laughs> know, wrong with you people? I know. Uh, I can't even imagine the the assault that these women were under, and they're so young, and they're so sexualized and under the microscope and judged for every little move they make. And then when they turn to drugs to cope, we're like, huh, we always knew she was exactly. a, whore, a drugged out whore. Yeah, it's really sad. It is very sad. So in 1989, people weren't like as crazy for this salacious, good girls gone bad narrative. Mm-hmm. So here's what Holden had to say about Madonna. Steeped in pop culture iconography, she has manipulated the persona of the good bad girl in music videos, concerts, and endless photographs in a way that has made her self-invention a kind of ongoing performance and has made her one of the 10 highest paid entertainers of the late 1980s, having earned, according to Forbes magazine, more than 20 million in each of the last three years. This is a Madonna quote. 
What I do is total commercialism, but it's also art. I like the challenge of doing both, of somehow making art that is accessible and making commerce something artistic. Which is a thing that she's exactly what she said with the Pepsi commercial interview, yeah. right? She was really smart. She said, I think I have a very healthy point of view about myself. This is Holden again. Having virtually invented herself in the downtown New York club world of the late 70s and early 80s, Madonna must be well aware that the kind of teenage adulation she attained with Like a Virgin, her first number one hit, which led hordes of adolescent girls to dress like her, is stardom of the most perishable sort. Her challenge has been to find a way of entertaining the grown-up show business mainstream while still remaining something of a kid in the eyes of her fans. It has been a race against time. But with Like a Prayer, which demonstrates such impressive musical growth, she appears to have won, at least in the world of pop music. So once again, this is like such condescension from like this guy who's like, well, we all know that we only liked her because she was salacious and the teenage girls started dressing like her and like they're growing up. So she's got to do something real this time. And what she was doing was very real. It has withstood the test of time. Like, yeah, nothing else. I would even say that this is her last mega hit. Right? All of her other gigantic hits came before this. Yeah, so this was her seventh, and she's only had 12 number ones. Not only, but you know what I mean. After the seventh. She's, yeah, definitely past the midpoint. But, like, if you think of Madonna, you think of, like, a virgin, material girl, express yourself, lucky star. You don't think of, like, beautiful stranger. (laughs) Right. So I leave you with this. Madonna got to kick it to Pepsi one last time in April 2017 amidst another disastrous moment in Pepsi's cultural history. What a fucking... Do you remember this? Hi, listeners of Eve here from the future. We're about to talk about Kendall Jenner's infamous Pepsi commercial from 2017, and we mistakenly call her Kylie Jenner like six times. Consider this your preemptive apology for us messing up her name a million times, and please enjoy the rest of the show. The Kylie Jenner thing? Yes. Oh, my God. D- uh, listeners, do you remember Kylie Jenner solving racism with by giving cops a Pepsi? <laughs> okay, so there's, so there's this video of the ad. Kylie Jenner is blonde. She takes off her wig. She goes to protest. And then they give the cops a Pepsi and racism is solved. And Madonna's caption says, When you wake up and you realize that shit doesn't really make sense. Hashtag chosen. Side note, my Pepsi commercial was pulled 30 years ago because I was kissing a black saint. Ironic. Right. Wow. But but this, I think that this, this fucking weird, toothless bullshit is... I think that Pepsi would still pull a video of a white woman kissing a black saint, but, but do this fucking nonsense. Of course they would. This video is... A, a, is exactly as tone deaf as pulling mm-hmm. the other video. So you have Kylie Jenner. She like ditches a photo shoot, shakes out her hair. She joins a street protest, then offers a Pepsi to an oppressive-looking police officer. I don't think I don't actually even think that the the police officer looks that oppressive-looking, which is part of the problem, right? Like it's not they all that look he's oppressive in- to me. That's true, but he's not in like tactical gear. He's just like out there chilling, which is not true to what the what protesters have gone through over the last twenty years in this country. Right? They're they're. So she hands him a Pepsi. A woman in a hijab takes a picture. He smiles and drinks it, 
And then there's like a dance party. Like everyone's hooting and hollering that the cops aren't firing tear gas at them. Right. So it's like this cop is cool. And and at the same time, they're absolutely appropriating the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. So I think that that's that is the thing. I think that this is. I would say even more tone deaf because the Pepsi ad that was pulled, at least they're like, well, we'll, we'd rather show nothing, right? Which is bad, but this is worse because it's like, this is what we think is good. Yeah, it's so atrocious. Horrendous. So good job, good job, Madge. So I realized I didn't give you a chance to talk about your personal relationship with this song, and I definitely told you mine, which is that it was a huge part of my little childhood. So um, what about you? So I heard the song when I was a kid, much like everyone else, but when I hear Like a Prayer, I hear a very specific version, which is there's a TV show called Happy Endings, and there is a character named Max who's a gay guy and one of the episodes it's the last episode in season two there is a uh wedding and at the wedding max reunites with his all male all gay chicagoland madonna cover band called mandana and they and they sing like a prayer so that's how we'll go out this week is the mandana version of like a prayer and it is in your email oh yeah i get to listen to it oh wow what are you seeing? Um, I think it's Schmidt. And it's not. It's not Schmidt, but it looks like Schmidt. Schmidt's actually in the show. This guy's <laughs> named Adam Pally. He's in Iron Man Three. Okay, he's wearing suspenders, very thick suspenders, and cross earrings. There's some amazing cross dressing, '80s style. Yeah. And it looks like a wedding. It is a wedding. So that's it for this week. If you want to get at us, how can people find us? People can find us. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Lyrics for Lunch. We also have a website. We don't we haven't really done much with it, but if you go there, that could kickstart us. <laughs> you can find me at Linz.Tucker on Instagram. And I'm at Rainbow Calrissian on all social medias. Please, please, please subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. If you have a favorite like a prayer cover, let us know. And tune in next week when we do this with another song. What song are we doing next week? We're going to do a Wings song. Gotta love some wings. I know. I'm very excited. So, until next time, I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm Lindsay Tucker. 